today on CityCast Salt Lake. The city will hoist its pride flag tonight and kick off Pride Month in Salt Lake and around the country. With me today is my friend Eva Lopez, the LGBTQ liaison for the mayor's office. And we're talking about the fact that without pride, there simply would be no Salt Lake as we know it. Today is Wednesday, June 1st, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Ava, welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's the best time of the year, not just because it's Gemini season, but also because it's Pride. Although I feel like you're, you celebrate both. <laughs> it's my birthday weekend. I love it. It's no coincidence, I think. <laughs> okay, you and I were having a conversation recently, and you said something that I think is so interesting and important, and that is that there is no Salt Lake City without the queer community. Mm -hmm. Can you go in on that? What do you mean? I think there's something telling when a counterculture is the most prominent um, or mainstream kind of celebrations and communities that you find in a city. Um, there's history there that's very profound, that tells a story uh, beyond the pioneers that we celebrate on July 24th. We're talking about uh, queer pioneers, pioneers that were othered, pioneers that had and were forced to build community outside of that and to build community that checks in on the welfare of those individuals that are a part of it. Mm -hmm. I think Salt Lake City predominantly now has taken on this facade almost of, um, you know, of, of being this friendly liberal city, this hub. Uh, but in reality, you know, it, it all started with, with queer individuals that were being ousted by the LDS church. Yeah. I had a neighbor when I used to live on 30s named Michael, and he would talk all the time about like, Basically, like you kids today, you have no idea what it was like in the 80s and the 90s here. And I think like you bring up a really important point, which is Salt Lake sort of progressivism. I think there are a lot of newcomers to the city who take credit for some of that work and like have this sense that like, oh, we moved here and brought our politics with us. And that's why this city is so progressive or inclusive or, you know, I mean, <laughs> we are far from perfect, but like, you know, that's why it's grown in this way. And it's, I think it's a real misunderstanding of the culture of this place. Like, no, that road was very, very much paved by the movement for queer liberation um, and specifically in opposition to the LDS church. I agree. There's been several movements in Salt Lake City. The civil rights movement was a predominant or more recent Chicanos in Salt Lake City also joining in on the cause. On the cause. I think it's, it's showing and, and telling to understand that history, how intersectional it was. Like you said, it was an intentional path paved to reach us to the point that we are today. And what is the point that you think we're at today? Because I mean, Salt Lake City Pride, second biggest parade in the state. And yet there's also still a lot of work to do. Yeah, that's a great question. I think we have to reimagine um, and redefine what is that queer liberation in the modern day. You know, 50 years ago, it was fighting for the right to be seen in public or exist with your loved one. 
um, now we see a lot more, especially in Salt Lake City, um, individuals visibly queer. But what does that look like beyond it? I think we're talking more about queer housing. Um, what does it look like to have health care? What does it look like to have education so that you can liberate yourself? Um, what does it look like to have uh, community beyond that? We see lots of our queer activism um, being intersectional and trying to help folks that are not able to sustain themselves and, and to fight back. There's a term that I want to bring up, Ali, that is thrown around around this time, and it is rainbow capitalism. And I think this is where the movement has moved to, is to bring light and shine upon those. There are still oppressors out there, um, corporations that only paint their rainbow colors once a year um, and, and and give lots of donations. You know, I'm not necessarily interested on, I'm interested in where their money's going because it, it, it affects uh, it, it affects legislation, quite frankly. We see this in, in Florida, for example, where Disney CEO wasn't able to speak out and they spoke out too late against the Don't Say Gay bill. And so now we have anti-queer and anti-trans legislation being passed in Florida. It's likely that we see this type of activity here in Utah. And although we have here in Salt Lake City a predominantly queer city council and pro-LGBTQ mayor, um, we we still have a long way to go statewide. Uh, so again, why we see this and, and where we're going is for Salt Lake City, I think Salt Lake City can take a strong, stronger stance in being the queer capital of not just Utah, but quite frankly, the Northwest. I myself am from uh, a rural town in Idaho, and you, know, you can go to the capital city in Idaho, which is Boise, or you could go to Salt Lake City, which is the crossroads of the West. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I yeah. think... There, there's purpose for this city, but in general, queer liberation needs to go statewide. And uh, there's lots of organizations that's trying to build those bridges, uh, but we we have a long ways to go. My one concern is that individuals, both allies and community members, feel secure that LGBTQ rights will not be taken away. Um, but the fact is, they already have been taken away. Yeah, I mean, we saw the Utah legislature this year pass a bill targeting trans kids. They tried to pass a bill that wouldn't allow them access to health care. That one didn't make it through. But to your point, like I am bracing myself for the the pride tweets from legislators that voted for that legislation. And they are gonna say that there is that they're that the that they are valid in separating those two things and they're not but like it's coming right like it's coming (laughs) yeah i i want to i mean i think to your point about rainbow gentrification and rainbow capitalism like these are conversations that we have during pride i think you know on maybe like the news but i think those conversations are also happening every single day in this city like a really good example of that is what went down with milk um a couple months ago and there was an allegation that the bar which is a queer bar um had asked a family-owned taco um business that was operating on the same block to move so that folks would buy milk's food instead of eating there when they were out. And that's an allegation that I don't think has been fully fleshed out, but I'm not sure if you know differently. Um, But the response to that 
was I think really interesting and really important, which is that people were pissed. Yeah, and I, I think for the record, we should clarify, Milk responded. Um, they waited some time. My understanding is they were able to clarify and the the people that, the, you know, the family that was asked to move, it was not by Milk's owners. My understanding is it was the property owners. Um, I think as community members, both those that are in queer circles or outside of that, we need to uphold small businesses and, and work together. I think that's the lesson to be learned here. Um, and my understanding now is that Milk is in communication with the owners of the taco truck um, and that they share space now. And, and that's really the point to be made with communities that we need to share space. There's no, there's no turf wars, there's no competition. The queer community is large and vast and so are customers for every type of institution or business out there. But I think you, you struck an accord which is really important and that is that our queer community jumped in arms to protect that taco truck and assumed the worst because quite frankly, the queer community I think is used to and chooses not to be sedated uh, to it, not just normal conflict, but rather uh, gentrifying businesses coming in to spaces that were shared before by individuals that are, you know, whether it's a taco truck or somebody else, but families that have been there for generations trying to make a living. There's an intersectionality in, within our communities um, that does involve the activism. And there are those that, that choose not to be, uh, you know, not to be comfortable with the way that the city is progressing and growing to challenge um, any type of, of oppressive systems that try to displace people that, that belong here. Uh, I think that's something we should be really proud of, quite frankly. There are other cities where gentrification is accepted as the norm and, and that displacement of communities is something that happens because you weren't able to work hard enough to stay there or you couldn't afford the prices of today than what they were 20 years ago. Um, you know, so it makes me proud that we have a community that's willing to stand up and fight and clarify. And, you know, all I can say is good for the owners of milk for also understanding and, and for trying to uh, communicate and educate themselves and their staff that, uh, that this is a shared community, Midtown business um, district where all these businesses are located in is growing rapidly and a little shout out to them, but they care a lot. They, they understand that this area is an area that a few years, 10, 20 years ago uh, was not something that people wanted to move their businesses to. And now through lots of investment and support from the city, they're able to create a safe space where small business owners can thrive. Um, in particular, there's a lot of more queer-owned businesses in this area too. I think it's really interesting we've come to this place where we have multiple Pride events. There's, of course, the Pride Center Week of events that kicks off today. Well, it actually kicked off on Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, there's uh, Gender Bands, Utah Trans Pride in August. There's Burning Sissy Valley mm -hmm. in June, which centers queer, black, and indigenous people. Um, Salt Lake Mutual Aid is co-hosting a, a Pride where they're um, 
there won't be a police presence or the police presence is not invited. Um, are multiple prides a good thing? My sense is this is a good thing. Oh, absolutely. I think multiple prides are beautiful and telling of the diversity in our community. I also think it's intentional. We need to build space. And sometimes that means some spaces don't invite me or include me. And that's how it should be so that it can be as safe as possible for those individuals to exist and, and share their stories. At the same time, there are events where we can mix and mingle and meet other queer individuals and or allies that have different stories or want to learn from you individually. Uh, so I think it's really exciting. I don't see it, take it as a sense of competition. Uh, in other cities such as Los Angeles, there's Los Angeles Pride and West Hollywood Pride. Those are competing entities. Uh, but I think in Utah, there's something to be said about our shared pioneer history, and that is that we have a lot of love to give and a lot of love to go around. So we're not quite at the competitive stage. Yeah, it does feel like an indicator of how far we've come and also how far we have to go. I'm just constantly thinking about the fact that this city was born a theocracy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that origin story to me is sort of in conflict with the movement for liberation. Mm. And I think that that just like that undertone is so present in everything that we do to make this a better, safer city for all. And we just like can't forget it. Yeah, I, I mean, we march right past the temple, right? We we see it every day. It covers, instead of Big Brother, we have the church, you know? And it's the church that has lobbied against LGBTQ legislation. It's the church that, and, you know, some people might say, well, don't with fingers, but we absolutely can and we should hold those accountable that are in power that choose to make these decisions. Um, that being said, in Salt Lake City, again, what happens when you have the most queer city council and yet one of the most anti-LGBTQ legislatures to exist, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. or at least those that are debating it? Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's really telling how Salt Lake City more and more needs to be this beacon of hope in the community. And we can do that not by thoughts and prayers, but by offering actual um, code, you know, and policy that protects individuals in the city. Um, I think we're headed in a direction that we better understand that. But, you know, I, I've walked literally every street in the city and knocked on almost every single door in the city. And it is really in particular, I find it interesting that I find uh, a lot of queer individuals in particular moving to the west side of our city. You know, and, and then and then you have your slight population of uh, white gay men that are usually ex-LDS that we find on the east side of the city living grand, luxurious mm -hmm. lives. And that separation, mm -hmm. I think, is telling also of, of queer mobility within, you know, current uh, practices. And and it's like you said, the queer liberation is, is one that seeks to free all, um, which is why we see individuals living in Rose Park and Poplar Grove and Glendale um, and fighting for their communities, fighting against developers. Um, and, and I think the city should recognize that. And I think the city council, especially those that are queer on the city council, should really be a voice to that um, and, and represent that community because 
it wasn't that long ago that queer individuals couldn't be in power. They couldn't be elected. They were told that uh, it would be used against them to defile their name so that they wouldn't mm -hmm. be electable. Yeah. And we're not far away from that. You know, that was only 10 years ago that if you were out of the closet and openly gay, it would be used against you in an election. When I think about this year that we've had and some of the conversations I've had with folks in this city, it will be on my mind a lot this week and this weekend that it's not just the brands and businesses that are the rainbow capitalists that are supporting pride, that are showing up to pride and actively working often, not always, but often behind closed doors to support legislators that are passing anti-gay legislation or bills that target <laughs> children. Um, but there will also be people in the crowd partying and dancing and celebrating and enjoying the festivities that are going home and voting for people that make this place less safe for queer Utahns. And I think we can't stop having those conversations and we can't stop reminding those people that they need to do better. Yeah. That's, that's, I think the part that, that just like really doesn't, isn't sitting well with me these days because um, everyone likes to party at Pride. Everyone likes to get down at Pride. And I think there are a lot of people in the audience that aren't doing that work any other day of the year. You're absolutely right. And it's a, it's a call to them. It's a call to action to those listeners out there that don't feel that maybe they can act or can defend this community. If you're celebrating Pride this weekend, you absolutely should think about not just the history, but the future that we're headed into. And right now, picture that I see painted on the wall isn't one where queer individuals are free to love each other. We hear the love is love term that was so popular a few years ago. Love isn't love until all people are free from oppression. And right now we're headed into a, a what I believe to be uh, a nation that is, you know, taking away rights that we fought for for LGBTQ peoples. Um, and making it difficult to exist, in particular, trans uh, individuals and, and family members and community members, um, children that are also queer are now being uh, defiled in legislation. What are you going to do to protect them? What are you going to do to protect their futures? Yeah. Ava, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ali. I appreciate Thanks, it. Nick. Happy birthday. Ah, it's not my birthday yet. It's coming, though. I have a week of being 25. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Oh. Happy later birthday. Yay. <laughs> One more thing before we go. The Salt Lake Tribune reported this week that hate crimes against LGBTQ and Two-Spirit Utahns nearly doubled last year with a big jump during Pride Month. The Trib's Peyton Harkins reports of the 134 hate crimes reported last year, 42 targeted queer people. That's one third of all hate crimes in Utah. And 42 is double the number from the year prior. In other words, they're on the rise. The biggest increase was in offenses like damaging or stealing a pride flag. Those reports grew from two to 17. 
There were also six offenses targeting transgender people last year, up from three the year before. In my view, this isn't terribly surprising because when we legislate hate in Utah, it gives a nod to hateful behavior. And last year and this year, the Utah legislature made targeting the health and wellness of queer Utahns a priority. That's our show today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.